835. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I took uh, yesterday off. I was participating in a golf tournament. Uh, it was one of these uh, organized, it was one of these a- activities. Um, actually, my brother's law firm had purchased a foursome, had a good time. Um, it was for Friends of Autism, wonderful event and uh, a great cause to raise money for. But actually, in addition to the opportunity to, hey, you get to go out and play golf and hang out with a couple friends of mine and my brother, um, I was thinking, what better spot to watch the solar eclipse from, from outside on a golf course in Sussex, Wisconsin. You know, I thought this would be just absolutely great. And the organizers, to their credit, um, everybody that participated in this, they, they had a pair of Eclipse glasses. I was I was all set, and I was ready, and I was looking forward to this. And at least from my Eclipse viewing thing, very, very disappointing, because what happened was clouds started, at least where I was, clouds started to roll in, Oh, I, I wouldn't say around 1230 or so. At the very beginning, there was some sunshine. And when the thing was originally starting, you could put on the eclipse glasses and you can look. And I, I hadn't I was going to I was going to save mine until it, it really got to that that time after one o'clock or so. Um, by the time it got to one o'clock, at least where I was completely clouded up. Now, it was it was dark. You know, but it was you just you could not see the sun and the moon through the clouds. So as as much as I hate to say this, um, my eclipse viewing in 2017 was a huge disappointment because of, of the weather. You know, nevertheless, last evening I was watching the newscasts and I, I saw, you know, just how really eclipse fever has kind of like taken taken over. And how so many people were thrilled with how cool it was and all. And I, by the way, I'm sure it was very cool. I'm just saying where I was, you could not see it because of the weather conditions. All right. Big story number one. It is the day after the eclipse. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Here is my question. Um, if you were into eclipse viewing yesterday, um, was it a kick or did it turn out to be a bust? because of the clouds and the weather was it everything that you were looking forward to or were you kind of disappointed like i say at least where i was very disappointing because you you couldn't see it 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 got dark you know on the golf course but when you kind of look up you just you just couldn't see the sun 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line i actually felt bad for the organizers because i thought this was so cool they've made arrangements they've gotten everybody the eclipse viewing glasses this is going to be fun everybody's going to be out on a golf course that will make for great pictures i'm sure you know with these eclipse glasses on and candidly extremely disappointing where where i was 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line all right, eclipse fever. Did you catch it? How cool was it? Was it a kick? Was it a bust? Let's talk first to uh, let's see, Tom in Brookfield. Tom, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. How are you this morning? I'm well, thank you. Did you get to watch the eclipse? I did. I took my uh, two teenagers down to Southern Illinois yesterday, and uh, we were a little concerned about having cloudy conditions, but it turned out just great. We had clear skies, and I hate to say it, but anybody who viewed it in in Milwaukee or Wisconsin just missed out. It, it's not anything about the partial eclipse. It's all about the total eclipse. Right. If you can imagine the sky getting slowly dimmer and dimmer, but in the course of about a minute or two, going from partially dark <laughs> to almost nighttime, suddenly the, the corona of the sun just bursts out. 
and uh, you get some a few stars. Right. You also, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, you get a 360-degree kind of sunset in every direction, <laughs> the, the horizon goes in every direction. And we were lucky enough, we had some great Tom, you're making me jealous. I didn't get any of that. Oh, <laughs> I'm least, sorry. At least where at least where I was, I, I didn't get any of that. But it was worth it was worth you taking the trip down to Illinois for this oh, with absolutely. your kids. Uh, great. It's okay. Now, super. Thank. Can go someplace with two teenagers, and they actually want to go someplace. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks for the call. No, it's um, you know, it, it's interesting. Okay, Mitch and Surgeon Bases. I was five miles out on Lake Michigan running a salmon trip. We wanted to see if. Um, um, if uh, the fish were more active during the stages of the eclipse. While it stayed bright and sunny this far north, we caught two huge fish and created a great memory. So that's that's cool. Um, let's see. Here's another text. Jeff, I was kissing my beautiful wife in an empty parking lot in Manitowoc. BD, who's producing the show today. They were 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They were necking in a parking lot in Manitowoc. Great. There was an extremely heavy cloud cover, but just at the moment of the eclipse, the clouds parted slightly, and we could see the crescent from the sun. Very cool. That's Steve and Debbie. Let's talk to um, Nick in Union Grove. Nick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Okay. Did yeah, you, I was, yeah. I was uh, working down in Illinois, and the clouds actually made it much better to see where I was. Okay. It was just thin clouds, so it wasn't so bright. And so you could see the outline on it a lot better. Was it cool? Oh, yeah. Yeah, some. I mean, probably won't see again. <laughs> yeah, that's well, not the not the total eclipse. No, th- thanks for the call. I guess, and again, it, it's not it's not a criticism. It's not a complaint. It's just kind of an observation. But I was, I, I had, you know, I had forgotten that I was until about a week beforehand that I was playing in this golf tournament. Then it was like in this golf outing, and then it's like, oh gosh, you know, there, you've got the eclipse. What a cool spot! You know, you're going to be out on a golf course. Isn't this going to be great? And I'm sure it was very cool. And it did get dark. I mean, there was the cloud cover and stuff, so you could tell that something was going on. But I'm kind of looking at the sky, and you just, unfortunately, where I was, you couldn't see it. But I know lots of people enjoyed it. I know it was spectacular, and it is something that comes along. Well, once every couple lifetimes, I guess. All right, that's big story number one, eclipse fever. Coming back, number two, Russ Feingold. Remember him? He writes a what could be a very provocative piece. He says some things that other people are implying we will discuss. Stick around. It's 842, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Another late night first pitch for the Brewers as they play game two against the Giants. We'll send it out west to join Jeff and Lane with pregame coverage beginning at 840 here on WTMJ. Yeah, they're two and two on this road trip so far. It's a nine game road trip. I, we, we had said, Big Dog who's producing the show today. What, what do we say? You, you said you think they need to go six and three to be in contention when they come back, or five and four. You said five and four. Yeah, I, I agree. Five, five and four. I think that's, um, it. They're, they're two and two right now. So let's see. They got five games left. Uh, you think if they win three out of five? Of course, the the problem is they're going to Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is a real is probably the best team in baseball in years and years. So, but, but you know, who knows? That's the great thing. You got to play the games. Anyhow, our coverage starts at eight forty this evening here on WTMJ. Russ Feingold. Remember Russ Feingold, three term U.S. senator who was defeated for re-election by Ron Johnson in 2010. 
Russ uh, was one of those guys who really, I think, from the minute he lost the election in 2010, started planning how he was going to win in 2016. I, I think um, Russ was one, is one of those liberals who goes into this idea of he, he, just, he just thought in 2010 it was an aberration. The, the, the voters of Wisconsin were crazy. How could they throw me out? I'm Russ Feingold. I'm the liberal lion. I'm the liberal icon. How could they throw me out in favor of, I don't know, a businessman from Oshkosh? How could I, how could I lose to Ron Johnson? And I, I think Feingold, in his heart of hearts, considered it to be an aberration. He launched this political action committee. You know, and I think, really, from 2000, oh, I, I think 11 to 2015, he was just kind of killing time trying to figure out how he was going to reclaim the seat that he believed was his. So Russ Feingold announced he was going to run for re-election. Lots of people thought he was a shoo-in. Ron Johnson's got no chance to win. Well, an election night, and this was one of the most interesting and, in my opinion, satisfying results of, of election night. You know, Russ Feingold fell behind early. Not only did he not catch up, he kept falling progressively more behind. The voters of Wisconsin resoundingly rejected Russ Feingold for the second time. Russ Feingold decides, though, he's not going to go quietly into the good night. So now, having been soundly defeated by the voters of Wisconsin twice, you know, Russ Feingold is still offering political commentary, as is his right. But, you know, the true Russ Feingold is starting to come out. Um, story in the Journal Sentinel the other day pointing out that Feingold writes this article for a very, very left-wing European paper called The, the Guardian. In his essay, Feingold um, goes after the Republicans, which means if you are a conservative or you're a Republican voter, he, he's, going after, he's going after you and uh, other Republicans. He, the way the Journal Sentinel story talks about it is Feingold is upset about what he sees as feigned outrage against President Donald Trump's comments last week following the violent protests in Charlottesville. In the wake of last weekend's horror and tragedy, let us finally, finally rip off the veneer that Trump's affinity for white supremacy is distinct from the Republican agenda of voter suppression, renewed mass incarceration, and the expulsion of immigrants. All right. So first of all, he, he says, OK, Trump, Trump has an affinity for white for white supremacy. And the implication is if you are a Republican who supports Trump, you, too, must have an affinity for white supremacy. But then he goes on to say that the Republican agenda is a recipe and an affinity for white supremacy. So what is the Republican agenda? Voter suppression, which, in other words, means if you are in favor of old voter ID bills that require people to prove who they are before they vote, you have an affinity for white suppression. Feingold says that um, the Republican agenda, renewed mass incarceration. What does renewed mass incarceration mean? It means if you are somebody who believes that, that there needs to be consequences for criminal behavior, and that people who commit crimes, regardless of whether they're white or black or brown, um, should be in prison for committing crimes, well, then you have an affinity for white supremacy. And then if you favor the expulsion of immigrants. Now, I, I assume that by this he means if you believe that people who are illegally in this country should be deported. 
um, and presumably, if they've committed crimes, deported after they are mass incarcerated. But if you believe that people who are illegally in this country should be sent back, you are somebody who has an affinity for white supremacy. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay. I, I understand that the way we, we go about things nowadays is we throw around the term racist. And, you know, when you're accused of being a racist it's it's very or a white supremacist, it's, it's very, very difficult. You know, people get very uncomfortable with this. But here's Russ Feingold. I think ripping off the veneer, in my opinion, uh, of what you have from some of the extreme left wing. The idea that, okay, you are you have an affinity for white supremacists if if you believe in voter ID bills, if you believe that people should be sent to jail when they commit crimes, if you believe that, you know, we need to get a handle on immigration policies in this country, and that could include deporting some people who are in this country illegally, you have an affinity for white supremacy. So let's tee this up. If you support voter ID, if you support holding criminals accountable, if you support the deportation of people in this country illegally, are you in fact a racist? Are you in fact someone who identifies and has affinity for people who are white supremacists? Because this isn't just, this is more than just Feingold talking about, you know, Donald Trump's policies and should he have condemned this person or that person sooner. He's saying these are policies. These policies are codes, essentially, to support and give aid to the white supremacist movement. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I understand that Feingold is progressively more unhinged. Um, and has become more unhinged since his first and now second election loss. But but seriously, a white supremacist because affinity for white supremacy because you want to hold criminals accountable or you think that maybe people should have to prove who they are before they vote or because, heaven forbid, if you're in this country illegally, maybe you should be subject to deportation. 414-799-1620. That's what Feingold's saying. Jose in West Dallas, you're first. Good morning. Hi. What do you think? The reason I'm responding to this is because if Feingold is stating exactly what you just said, he's calling the people of Wisconsin the white supremacists because we voted for a white guy. I'm, I'm, my name is Jose. I'm 100% Puerto Rican, and I voted more for the policies that I thought were best for, for me in the state. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hold very dearly to that. I also voted for Donald Trump mm-hmm. because I truly believe in some of the policies that he has, and I believe he's a man of his word and will follow through, and I also don't believe that Donald Trump is a racist in any way or form. Well, uh, Russ Feingold knows your heart better than you do, Jose, and if you support Trump and the policies that are advocated by the GOP, he apparently thinks that, you know, you too have an affinity for white supremacy. Yeah, we all, well, I know one thing, we also find golfers in golf courses, golfer homes. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way that that is. But uh, what he's popping his head about here, he ought to look around a little bit and look at the people around him and the people he's been with for most of his life. He's been in Wisconsin, and, you know, he should realize that there are not that many white supremacists or Nazis or whatever in the state of Wisconsin. It's just people that want to work and people who uh, believe in the policies of what they voted for. Well, yeah, I mean, right, thanks. I mean, see, look, this is – look, I understand – and this is what drives me crazy about the political dialogue right now. I understand that reasonable people can disagree about things. 
All right. Maybe maybe you think that it is unreasonable, even though we expect you to have a, a photo ID before you can do almost anything in this world. Maybe you still think, oh, it's unreasonable to expect somebody to have to prove who they are before they vote. Okay, I, reasonable people can disagree about that, but I, I don't have a problem with it. Maybe you think that we've got 11 million people who are in this country illegally, and maybe you think that we should just give everybody amnesty, and regardless of whether they've committed crimes or not, we, we should just let them stay. Okay, I don't think that that's a policy that makes any sense. I think we need a more rational immigration policy, but okay. Maybe, and this is, I again say reasonable people can disagree, I have a harder time a harder time with this one, this idea of mass incarceration, which is the code word that the left uses for locking up criminals. All right. Maybe you think that people who go out and commit crimes don't belong behind bars. OK, because in certain areas, the, the people who are committing crimes that get them locked up, it, it is disproportionately people of color. All right. That, that's just that, that's just kind of the reality. If you look at a lot of the people and it, it's I'm not saying anything about you know, why this goes on, and maybe there's all these different societal issues that occur. But, but yeah, if you've got a bunch of people who are committing crimes in a particular urban area or segments of urban areas, you know, maybe it tends to skew more towards, you know, one ethnic or racial group than another. But I guess I, I don't understand this attitude of, gee, you've got somebody that stuck a gun in somebody's face and took their car. Heaven forbid, whether they're white or black or brown or green or blue, heaven forbid that we should hold them accountable. But in Russ Feingold's world, in Russ Feingold's world, um, the, you, you get this idea that this must be, if you're promoting accountability and people being sent to prison, you have an affinity for white supremacy. This is where the dialogue has gotten to. And I understand that people, you know, have issues with President Trump. And I, I'm one of these. I mean, I, I think he makes his, he creates a lot of his own problems. I think that press conference he gave a week ago with the response to Charlottesville was bizarre at best. He should have just left well enough alone, and now he's turned it into another week story. But you've got the Russ Feingolds of the world, and you've got the editorial boards of the world who are now saying, well, if, if you haven't denounced Trump strongly enough, that means that you must be a racist as well. This is what is passing for political dialogue right now, and it is unfortunate, it is dangerous, and it is bizarre. Big thing number three is coming up. Stick around. It's 856. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 909. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Over over the weekend, this was a long weekend for me. I took yesterday off and actually was doing all sorts of stuff other than paying a lot of attention to current events. I, I have to confess that this weekend there was, I was just I was doing a lot of other things and I really wasn't kind of tuned into the news necessarily, but I did. I saw this story that, that aired actually that aired on Channel Four, and it did kind of get my attention because not of what was so much was said, but but one thing that that wasn't said. It, it's um, there is of course in Milwaukee County and now spreading out into the suburbs. There is a wave of of automobile thefts, and it, it started out with. Okay, during the winter, if you leave your car running and unattended, it's it's going to be gone in thirty seconds. It, it just it just is. There's bands of criminals that just drive around looking for these kind of targets of opportunity. And now people are being told if you're at the gas station, you got to close the door and lock it while you're filling up with gas because somebody might jump in and, and steal the car. I mean, it's really crime in this regard is out of control. And one of the the 
cars that has been stolen a lot is the Audis. Um, you know, high-end foreign cars, um, real quality cars. And one of the reasons that these are our targets is because um, Audi, apparently, I have never owned an Audi, but apparently they, they put a spare key in the glove box. And a lot of people don't take it out. The, the idea is the spare key is there, and it's a valet key. So if you're, you know, uh, part if you're taking the car and there's going to be a valet parker, you don't have to leave your keys. You can just reach and, and grab this other one. Well, the the bad guys know about this, and so they've been breaking into Audis because apparently what's been happening is a lot of people leave this spare key in their glove box. So if you break into the car. Well, you get into the glove box, then you've got the the spare key there. So they're telling everybody that owns Audis, you know, take the keys out. Anyhow, here's the story as they reported on, on today's TMJ4. Thieves targeting one particular brand of German luxury cars are at it again. Today's TMJ4 first reported the story back in April. However, it appears even after several arrests, the break-ins are happening again. Get rid of the spare key if you own an Audi, um, a resident of Milwaukee's Lower East Side says. Lock the doors and invest in a car alarm. Police noticed an uptick in break-ins a few months ago. They say the spare key in the glove box of an Audi is the very thing attracting thieves. Audis made in the years ranging from 2008 through 2017 typically come with a spare or valet key that can be stored in the glove box and used to start or steal the vehicle. Um, guy says, my car gets parked in the street or in my driveway fairly regularly. I think in three years, one time I left my car unlocked, and I think that the change was, you know, missing. Not everyone, however, can say the same. Before the start of the weekend, an apartment complex on the Lower East Side issued a warning to its residents stating police say thieves who targeted Audis earlier in the year are starting to strike again, leading to an increase of police officers patrolling the area. Now, let me stop for just a second. You have a rash of thieves who are targeting a particular brand of automobile, who were apparently caught, and now they are starting to do it again. So, BD, who's producing the show today, what what is odd about that particular statement? It's, and, and let me make it really simple. All right, you've got these people that are out stealing cars. You've caught them. And now, a couple months later... The same group of people are out stealing cars again. Matter of fact, here's the statement that this apartment complex on the Lower East Side says. The break-ins subsided for a while because the police had several of these individuals in jail and charged. They have since been released and are back out on the streets and starting to hit again. The police department is urging anyone that owns an Audi to remove the key from the glove box. All right, so let's let's back up this statement again. All right, so you have a rash of break-ins in the spring. You catch the people that you think are responsible for it. And according to this apartment complex who's warned its residents, then this comes from the cops, they have since been released. These are the people who are breaking into cars in the spring. It is now August. They have been released, and they are back out on the streets and starting to hit again, um, remove the key. Well, I, I, obviously, you know, you want to remove the key. But let's concentrate on the important thing. People steal cars. Part of this massive car theft ring, they're stealing cars. They're caught in the spring, taken off the streets, charged. 
and now three months later, they're back out and doing the same thing. How in any sort of rational world can this be happening? And and if it is in fact true, and I, by the way, have no reason to believe it's not true, how what, what is going on here? How can people who are identified as being part of a car theft thing, ring charged be turned loose on the street and apparently believed to be doing the same thing again? If you want to understand, and, and again, I, I put this message out to my friends in law enforcement and the people you know on the Milwaukee County bench, if you want to understand the frustration that average citizens have with a criminal justice system that does not work, it is because you have these repeat criminals who get caught, and with all due respect to law enforcement, law enforcement isn't good enough to catch people the first time they commit crimes, in, in most cases. Generally speaking, you have to you commit a bunch of crimes, you get away with them until finally you, you get caught. That's just the reality of it. It's not a criticism. It's the way it's always been. So you have people that are out there committing these crimes. You get them caught. You get them charged. You get them off the street. And then apparently a couple months later, they're back out doing the same darn thing again. And you wonder why people are starting to, I, I don't know, number one, lose trust in the system. Number two start to take more aggressive measures to defend themselves from a system that apparently isn't able to protect itself from criminals. And going back to what we were talking about a few minutes earlier, if this is what Russ Feingold talks about, white supremacy supporting mass incarceration, all right, guilty. Here's my message. If you have people that are out there stealing cars or carjacking people and they're doing it time and time again, you're darn right I want them in prison. I mean, at some point in time, don't the law-abiding, tax-paying, honest citizens in a community, whether they're white or black or brown or, like I say, green or blue, don't they have a right to be safe from the criminals who are preying on them? And unless we get a handle on the hardcore repeat criminals, and unless we get to a point where we say, okay, if you are going to be a dangerous, violent offender, if you're going to be somebody who is stealing stuff right and left and you refuse to stop, you are going to prison, you are going to prison, for a long time, you are going to be incarcerated. You are going to be warehoused until, and if it means we got to build more prisons, and let's build more prisons to do that, until we come to this conclusion that we have to protect again the honest, law-abiding citizens. You're always going to have this. People arrested, caught breaking into these cars, are now apparently a couple months later out on the streets doing the same thing again. It's 917. When we come back, we're going to be talking the Slenderman case. It's big thing number three. Stick around. It's 917. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 919. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. What's your reaction to President Trump's address to the nation last night? Do you agree with his decision regarding our war in Afghanistan? Weigh in with Scafidi and Billstat. 135 this afternoon. We'll be talking about that probably in the 10 o'clock hour as well. All right. Big story number three. The, the we, we call it the Slender Man case. And if you even if you're new to this area... You probably know about it because this is a story that's actually it's been hanging fire for several years. Um, it, it goes back to 2014. It's the case of, of two girls, two young women who at the time were were 12. This incident happened in the spring of 2014, over three years ago. It involved these two 
12-year-olds, um, Anissa Ware and Morgan Geyser, who apparently convinced themselves that this fictional character, Slender Man, was, was real and that Slender Man was telling them to kill one of their friends. And so what they did is they lured the friend over. They went, they actually, they lured her to a particular location, and they stabbed her, and they essentially left, left her for dead. Like I say, the, the matter has been hanging around in the court system for the better part of three years. The, the two young women, they're, they're now, they're, they're now, they were 12, they're now 15. And they've been in various forms of custody. They were charged as adults. You might say, how could a case last for three years? Well, they were charged with adults. There's been litigation up and down. Their defense attorney saying, no, they should be charged as juveniles. As it stands now, the matter um, is was scheduled to go to trial, I, I believe, in at, I believe next month. It was scheduled to go to trial, and they would be tried at, as adults. The, the breaking news is that one of the two girls, um, Anissa Weir, changed her plea yesterday in Waukesha County Circuit Court and pled guilty to a reduced charge. So what this means is she's now pled guilty to the guilt phase, and she's pled guilty as, as an adult. Um, there still will be one phase of the trial, and that is on the mental condition at the time. So she's going to continue to pursue her, what we, we call in general the insanity defense, but she's acknowledged that she's, she's entered a guilty plea to the underlying criminal charge. Now a jury will be tasked with deciding whether or not she, you know, could have whether or not she was sane, as they use that term, whether or not she was sane at the time of of the trial. If a jury finds her not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, um, she agrees as part of this deal that she would not seek release from a state mental hospital until July of 2020. So what she's agreed in order to plead guilty to this lesser charge She's agreed that if she is found to be not responsible because of mental disease or defect, she would agree that essentially she would remain in a mental hospital for the next three years. All right? If the jury rejects the insanity defense, prosecutors agree to recommend a sentence of 10 years in prison. Um, under the other charges, she faced a maximum of 45 years in prison. The judge could still sentence him to whatever you know he, he whatever she thinks he thinks is appropriate. But um, the prosecutors would be saying, if she's found to be sane, if she's found to be guilty, if the jury rejects the um, not responsible because of mental disease or defect, the prosecution agrees they would only recommend 10 years. They would recommend 10 years. So. Three years in a mental institution till 2020 or or potentially up to 10 years in prison. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, this happened three years ago. They were 12. And the, the story I'm looking at, the paper says that it is possible that there might be a plea resolution involving the other uh, defendant as well. But that, that's still up in the air. That trial is still scheduled to go on. All right, here is my question. It's been three years. Clearly, these two young women were extremely, extremely disturbed, and, and, and maybe to an extent they still are. Don't know that. They've been in one form of custody since for the, for the last three years. They are now 15 years old. The one, the girl who pled guilty yesterday, 
what would be a fair resolution? Like I say, if she's found not guilty because of mental disease or defect, she would still be held for, by her agreement, at least another three years, three more years at least, in a mental facility. So she wouldn't be out until she was 18. Um, If she's found guilty of the underlying crime and the jury rejects the insanity defense, she, she she could potentially, the prosecution would recommend up to 10 years in prison. How should this matter be handled? 414-799-1620. Does this girl need to be, in? if the jury rejects the insanity defense, does this girl need to be in prison for another five or ten years? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next the Slenderman case appearing to be working towards a resolution. And by the way, I don't have a problem with this plea agreement. I, I actually think... I think the DA's office um, did a pretty good job with the plea agreement. I think it's given them, you know, enough exposure to deal with this. But what should happen? I mean, essentially, if the jury rejects the insanity defense, does this young woman need to be in prison for another 10 years? 414-79, which would take her till she's 25. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 926. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, As the downtown renaissance continues, our friends at the Milwaukee Business Journal are taking a closer look at the boom this Friday. They're hosting a special panel discussion with some of the area's biggest movers and shakers. For more information on their event, the business of growing Milwaukee, just head to milwaukeebusinessjournal.com. All right. Uh, there, There have been, unfortunately, various scams that have been going on for for decades. Can I see a show of hands? Who, who, who here has gotten, oh, one of those emails from the, I don't know, um, Somali prince saying that, you know, here, here's the deal. I, I've got $10 million. I am just waiting to wire it to your bank account. But all I need is a little bit of money up front. Give me your bank number so I can send you this. You've won the sweepstakes. I mean, who hasn't gotten one of those things? But, but it's, always, it's the Nigerian prince, I guess. That's what they originally were. Well, okay, so that started. Now it is morphed into phone calls. And, I mean, I was telling the story a couple months ago. I, I had on, on, my, on my voicemail, I had literally a half dozen calls from and it's this threatening voice saying that this is it you you owe the irs money and unless you call right away and make arrangements to pay this money that the irs agents are going to be seizing your bank account and they're going to be putting you in handcuffs well okay the 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 irs doesn't make those kind of phone calls. I mean, you're not going to get a phone call out of the clear blue from the IRS saying that you owe them that you owe them money and you're going to be in handcuffs. I mean, if if you're in trouble with the IRS, trust me, you're going to know about it, but you're going to be getting all sorts of official documentation back and forth. You're not going to be getting a phone call from some threatening sort of voice. It is a scam. But the problem is there are some people out there who do not realize it is a scam and they freak out and they end up doing what in retrospect appears to be a really stupid thing. 
I have in my hands a criminal complaint that was issued um, the other day out of Milwaukee County charging somebody um, who lives in Shorewood. His name is Fan Z, F-A-N-X-I-A. Um, all right, here, here's what happens. Uh, apparently in, in April, <clears throat> there's a guy who lives in Illinois. He gets a phone call. Um, the phone call says, I, we're from the IRS, and it says to the man who answers the phone, you owe back taxes, and you are going to be arrested unless you pay $4,987 in back taxes. All right? Then the call goes on to say, due to this is what the caller is telling the man who answers the phone. Um, <clears throat> uh, and, and actually, a lot of these scams target elderly, which is what makes them particularly despicable. In this case, the guy who got the phone call, the victim is 37 years old. But he gets this, this thing, you're going to be arrested, you owe back taxes. Um, so the caller says, you owe, you owe the IRS $4,987. And this is what he's told. Due to an agreement between the IRS and Target, instead of paying cash or sending a check, you could provide Target gift cards. Now, let me give you some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here. First of all, the IRS, like I said, doesn't make phone calls like this. And secondly, the IRS does not have a deal with Target saying that you can pay off your back taxes if you owe them by buying Target gift cards. All right. So, all right. But all right. So they tell the guy this is what you can do. Um, What he does is immediately after getting this phone call, he runs out and he buy. I mean, literally within an hour. He's at a Target store buying $4,987 worth of Target gift cards. Um, he then calls back the, the number that they gave him, and he gives the gift card numbers and the PIN to the caller. So the guy that called and made the threats, he calls back and says, I've got $4,987. Don't come arrest me. Here are the gift card numbers. Um, all right, shortly after he does that, he becomes questioning the validity of the call, and he tries to cancel the cards. Target says, no, th- these are these are used. So, I mean, what happens is these scammers, as soon as they get this information, you know, they're not letting the grass grow under their feet. They're running out, and they're cashing it. So, all right, what, what they do is, all right, this is then reported to the cops, and the cops... Um, start working with Target to see, okay, who's going to show up and use use th- these cards? Well, enter enter our guy from Shorewood, um, Fan Z, the XIA. Video surveillance from the Target at 3900 North 124th Street in Wauwatosa shows that he shows up and uses a transaction with uh, the, these these gift cards, he got two thousand dollars in retail value of the gift cards. He starts um, buying all sorts of stuff at three twenty three p.m. So the original scam call comes in at twelve thirty five. The guy buys the cards at one thirty five, and two hours later, there's somebody in Wauwatosa at the Target, you know, cashing them in for for stuff. Um, video surveillance shows the guy um, then one at three thirteen 
one at three twenty-five. So you know he's he's using these gift cards. Another one of these gift cards is used in Orlando, Florida. The defendant was observed on video surveillance arriving to the Target in Wauwatosa on February eighth in a two thousand seventeen Mercedes Benz, valued at forty thousand dollars. Huh, that's kind of nice. So the scammer is driving a Benz. I don't know about you, BD, who's producing the show today, but. I'm not driving around in a Mercedes-Benz. Pursuant to a search warrant, a GPS unit was affixed to his Mercedes. Um, The defendant was arrested going to another Target store. During those eight days, the defendant visited Target stores, Best Buy stores, Walmart stores 23 times. They go out, they do an interview with this character in July. He says he's in the United States on a J-1 visa, employed by the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, earning $37,000 per year to do postdoctorate research in nanotechnologies. Huh. UWM must be popping its buttons over this one. The defendant is living in Shorewood with his wife, who is unemployed. The defendant admitted that he gets gift card information from people in India then purchases other gift cards using that information, then sells the purchased gift card numbers and PIN access codes to someone in China. He would provide it to the person in China by texting a photograph of the back of the iTunes Google Play card after scratching off the security trip, uh, strip, etc., etc. So he's going to the Target store with the stolen gift card information. He then buys other gift cards for other stuff that they then send. The defendant denied knowing about an IRS scheme and claimed he did not know there was anything wrong with obtaining the card numbers and pins because he never had one declined. He claimed he asked the people in India if the cards were legal on multiple occasions. During a search of the defendant's residence, law enforcement recovered over 200 gift cards, including iTunes, Google Play, valued at approximately $10,000. The scratch-off security strip on all these 200 cards have been scratched off, suggesting that the card number and the PIN code for each card had been forwarded, consistent with his statements that he would provide this information soon after purchasing the cards, etc., Etc. A search of his phone revealed over 400 picture, pictures containing images of approximately 6,100 iTunes cards. So, okay, so you get you get the idea of the way this this scam works. And unfortunately, what's happening is people are obviously still falling for this. Now, on the one hand, you would say you get this threatening phone call from somebody claiming to be the IRS and telling you that we, the IRS, have a deal with Target, that you can go buy thousands of dollars of Target gift cards. And you might say, who would fall for this? All right, But obviously there are people who are doing this, and then you have low lives like this character who's living in Shorewood who are, I don't know, driving a $40,000 Mercedes-Benz, making a ton of money by getting these card numbers and immediately cashing them in as quickly as they can and buying other stuff. All right. Now, now clearly, if this man is convicted of doing this, he belongs in prison. Hopefully, now that UWM is aware of the various charges, maybe they're deciding, well, maybe, maybe we don't necessarily need to have this person working in nanotechnologies because it sounds like he's doing a lot of other work on, on the side um, perpetuating these scams. But what I wanted to spend one segment on, it, it, this, the, this story just really caught my attention because while you can argue, you know, who would fall for this? Like I say, a lot of people are. And my sense is that these scams are, are still going on. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you still getting these phone calls? 
because it now you know now we're starting to understand there is a concentrated ring of thieves located in all parts of the country working with scammers in India to uh, develop these elaborate plots. You threaten somebody with prosecution. They go out and they buy these things. Then you sell the cards to, you know, people in China. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you still getting these phone calls? And how do you react to them? Unfortunately, some people apparently still believe that there is that Nigerian prince out there who's going to send you millions of dollars if you give him access to your bank account, or the IRS is going to come arrest you unless you buy $5,000 worth of Target gift cards. This story underscores how sophisticated these rings are and how quickly they operate. Within an hour of this person in Illinois buying the Target gift cards and Forwarding the information, you had this loser in Shorewood. This is within an, an hour, well, I guess within an hour and a half, within two hours. This loser in Shorewood is out at a Target gift at a Target store in Wauwatosa, cashing them in. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You still getting these calls? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's nine forty seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 950. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm devoting two segments of the program to this this scam because it is still out there and people are still being victimized. Guy in Shorewood was just charged. If you're just tuning in, um, man in Illinois gets a phone call. It's one of those threatening things. You owe the IRS $5,000. But the IRS has a deal with Target. You go buy gift cards and, you know, you can satisfy it. So man runs out buys gift cards, calls in the numbers of the cards with the pins. Within two hours, you've got this loser in Shorewood who's out at the Target store in Wauwatosa buying other gift cards. So he cashes in, takes the Target gift cards, and then buys like Apple or Google iPlay cards, gift cards with with the information, and then they, they sell them. Guy, uh, actually, at one of the Target stores, he shows up driving a $40,000 Benz. Now, I guess, so this is pretty good work if you're part of the scam. But people are still getting these calls. People are still falling for it. And we're talking to folks who've continued to get these calls. And again, trust me, this is not how the IRS operates. If you owe them money, you're not going to get a threatening phone call. And they sure as heck aren't going to tell you, gee, go buy Target gift cards. You know, you can satisfy the obligation. Um, let's see. Bill in Burlington sends me a text. I got three of those calls last week. Three. It was recording telling me to call the number to rectify the situation. Of course, I ignored it. Um uh, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, we got a call the last week with that, and they left, uh, we didn't answer, so they left us a message. Now, I, I called the, the police department, and they said, oh, we've had four or five of these calls today. They transferred me to a number where the people were that were supposed to handle this, I let that number ring for about 10 or 15 minutes, and no one ever picked up the phone. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so we'll, we'll send you to our fraud desk, um, and but there's nobody at our fraud desk. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know what, that, that look, and I, and I understand you're talking about this international ring, 
and it's tough to, to catch people. But one of the ways you shut it off is by doing, you know, what, what they did here. You follow the guy who's catching, who's cashing the gift cards. You know, Target has surveillance. You catch the guy, you follow him, and then you, you put him in jail. I mean, that's, I don't know that there's any other way, but you need the cops to be vigilant on this because this is a big deal, John. There's obviously people that are falling for this scam. Yeah. Yeah, that's surprising, but uh... yeah. Well, no, it is, but at the same, but yeah, again, but you know, typically, like I say, a lot of the victims are elderly who kind of get. And I'm not, I'm not trying to draw generalizations, but you know, they, they freak out when you get these type of calls, and the idea of them being hauled off in handcuffs, it's just easier to go pay five thousand dollars. No, th- thanks for the call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Like I say, the reason I'm devoting some time to this this morning is this is going on. Um, and this is one of the most clear explanations of how this scam works laid out in a criminal complaint that I've seen in a long time. Like I say, here you got you got a guy who's in this country on a visa, um, working at UWM or studying at UWM, who's maybe he's doing that, but he's also, at least if you believe the allegations of the complaint, he's spending a very good deal of his time running around um, being one of the American contacts contacts for this fraudulent scam. Let and and this is back. This is back in a big way. Lori in Port Washington. Lori, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I got two of those last week. Mm-hmm. So you're here. I mean, so and it's um, are these recorded messages or when you pick up the phone, is there a person there? No, it's a recorded message. Okay, Can, it's almost—it's almost amazing to me that people respond to this, but apparently they do. I know they do, and I've had them before. Yeah. I also, in the past week, got a call that I'm very close to getting arrested for a crime I committed, and I have to call this number back before they start legal procedures <laughs> against me. <laughs> Lori, that's not the way that trust me on this one. That is not the way the police work. If 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 you're about to get arrested for something, trust me, somebody will be at your door. <laughs> it's not going to be over the phone. And and if that's not enough, I get one that tells me that if I call this number, they'll take they'll help me take care of my student loan. Uh, I'm seventy-two years old. <laughs> yeah, I, that, 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 that Lori, my advice is. To everybody who's listening to us, if you get one of those calls, just follow the advice that Nancy Reagan gave decades ago on, on drugs. Just say no. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Steve. I'm sorry to say my 85-year-old mother fell victim to one of these oh. uh, calls for about for several thousand dollars, and she was just befuddled and truly believed that the call was real. And she's a fairly sophisticated person. And so these guys really are incredibly good at what they do. But a suggestion that we've now implemented for our family, and I suggest anyone with elderly parents do this, is have a family code word. So if your elderly parent gets a call like this, the first thing they should ask is, what is the family code word? And that will likely end that call pretty quickly. Right, right. Yeah, it just it, it's just I, things like this, Steve, just drive me crazy. I, I have a low tolerance for crime to begin with, but these these scams are clearly designed to prey on 
the vulnerabilities of of people. And you hear the story and you think, okay, who in their right mind gets this call and then runs out and buys five thousand dollars worth of Target gift cards to satisfy an IRS debt? I mean, it just it sounds ridiculous on its face. But like you say, obviously you you catch the right person and you catch somebody who's particularly susceptible or whatever, and and it's off to the races. It's amazing to me too that again within. About an hour or an hour and a half of getting this information, you know, from a guy in Illinois, you've got somebody in Shorewood, Wisconsin, who's already in the Target store, you know, cashing the the credit cards. I mean, it shows how sophisticated and how fast this this scam is. Yeah, and the only thing I'll say is when we had the police officer come and speak to my mother to kind of educate her on this, he had the line that I think kind of summarizes how we all feel about this. There's a special place in you know where yep. for these type of criminals. I, I agree. Thank thank you. And matter of fact, if you're wondering, again, in this country, it's innocent until proven guilty. But if convicted of the charge, as outlined in the criminal complaint, this guy um, who, again, in this country on a J-1 visa, he's, uh, he's looking at three and a half years in prison. And you're right, Steve, there's a special spot and you know where for guys like this. But at least in the short term, I think there's a special spot in um, a Wisconsin prison. And that would be for three and a half years if convicted. It's nine, bottom line of the segment, just, just beware. These scammers are still out there. If you've got people in your family who might be susceptible to this stuff, just talk to them about it and say, hey, if you get a call like this, dad or mom or brother or nephew or whatever, call me before you run to Target or wherever and spend $5,000. Please do that. It's 958. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1009. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Our text line just exploding with people who, who've been getting these calls. Um, let's see. Uh, Jill says, I haven't gotten any calls myself. This um, haven't gotten any calls myself, but um, uh, my friend is constantly getting calls from all over the state saying they will pay her 100% for going to college. She keeps telling them to take her off her list, and she knows it's a scam. Let's see. Funny, you should have this on your show today, Jeff. We were with friends last night, and the topic came up. All of us have been getting multiple threatening calls lately. Some say IRS. Some are vague and threatening that you are in trouble. They leave a callback number. We don't answer calls with numbers we don't know. Listen to the messages and then delete them. They are bottom feeders. Yes, they are bottom feeders. But they are out there, and apparently they're with the robocall system. There's enough people who unfortunately get sucked into this, who guppy on the stuff, that, that they're able to make a living. And then you have people like this loser who's in this country, you know, studying at UWM, who I, I, I assume it operates as soon as somebody is unfortunately, unfortunately sends the scammers, goes out and buys the credit cards or buys the gift cards and sends them the number within, you know, relatively a matter of moments. You've got losers like this guy who's living in Shorewood who gets the numbers and he runs out as fast as he can and cashes them in, who then says, gee, I didn't know it was illegal. Yeah, right. Um, all right. But just again, beware. All right. Yesterday, President Trump gives a speech on Afghanistan that... It's not getting as much attention as it might otherwise get for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is the end of August, and it is it is the dog days of, of summer. Um, kids are getting ready to go back to school. Matter of fact, in just about an hour or two, sort of a tough day in the wagon. Not tough. I mean, it's it's on the one hand, it's a new. It is a new beginning. But um, my my niece, my eighteen year old niece. Um, my brother and my sister-in-law, they're, they're getting ready to get on an airplane and take her out to California. She starts uh, college this week, or I mean, the 
I think at the end of the week it's move in, so they're they're flying out to San Diego this afternoon, and it's it's always kind of tough. I mean, I just I remember back when. I remember back when she was born, but there's a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's back to school. It's the end of August. Congress is not in session. And so a lot of people aren't paying attention, which is why it was interesting to me that, that President Trump picks last night, Monday night at the end of August, to give a nationally televised address on Afghanistan. Now, let me just kind of back into this topic. Um, I am, um, as a student of history, I admit to being fascinated with the, the Vietnam War. I was a little too young, a little too young for, for Vietnam, but I have, I know several people, including some very close friends of mine who served, and back in, in the day, I know older brothers of friends of mine who got drafted or enlisted or, or whatever. Like I say, I, I was too young. But I have been fascinated with how, in retrospect, the U.S. got involved in Vietnam. Now, I don't know. I mean, one of the popular theories out there is that President Kennedy, who actually did ratchet up our involvement in in Vietnam, um, that if he had lived, he would have put an end to it. He would have not, you know, sent all the troops. Uh, President Johnson, who, you know, Lyndon Johnson, who, you know, campaigned on the Great Society, let's deal with poverty in the U.S., I mean, his presidency uh, effectively ended in disgrace by virtue of the fact that he ignored several of his his advisors, at least some of his advisors, who said Vietnam is an unwinnable war. Don't get us involved in this. And he went along with what other advisors were pushing. Yeah, let, well, let, let's do it. It's the domino theory. They didn't appreciate that it was really a civil war um, as opposed to like a Soviet effort to try to take over the world. And, and we kept pouring more and more troops in. Then when President, and that, that ended the Johnson administration. I mean, you know, Lyndon Johnson was a one, one term plus serving out the balance of President Kennedy's term because of Vietnam plain and simple. And then Richard Nixon comes in and, and he escalates the, the war as well. It was a situation where you look back in retrospect and recognize that it really, it probably was never a winnable war to begin with. But if it was going to be a, a war, you, you you know, you needed to commit 100%. Instead of, it had these, you know, we, we didn't know what victory was going to look like, and you kept pouring troops into this this situation. And, and the more troops you sent, actually the worse it ended up getting. And that, by the way, is not a knock at all on the brave men and women who I take my hat off to on a regular basis who served our country in Vietnam. It was, I think, just, I, I don't know what the strategy was. And, and it, like I say, it effectively ended Lyndon Johnson's presidency and certainly made Richard Nixon's presidency. Let's forget about Watergate. But before that, it, it made it very, very difficult. It was very, very divisive. Afghanistan. And our involvement in Afghanistan now stretches back through, now it's, it's three presidents. It's, it's George Bush, it's Barack Obama, and it is it's now Donald Trump. Afghanistan, again, is a situation like Vietnam to an extent that, you know, the U.S. has sort of always, it seems to me the U.S. has always felt that, well, we, we, we have to be involved. We can't lose war there, but nobody knows exactly what winning would look like because you're not fighting necessarily one side. You've got different tribal factions and alliances that are always shifting. When President Trump was running for office, 
You know, I mean, he campaigned on a promise to to get the United States out of military involvement in foreign conflicts. I mean, that that's what what he essentially said last night in his televised address. He, I don't want to say reneged, but he reversed what his his campaign promises, you know, were. He says, my original instinct was to pull out, and historically I like following my instincts, but all my life I've heard that decisions are much more different when you get behind the desk in the Oval Office. He said, you know, we are going to, you know, continue our U.S. involvement. And then he said, you know, conditions. Our our conditions are not unlimited. The American people expect to see real reforms and real results. But then, let's be honest, the course he outlined was essentially what President Obama has been do, was doing for, for eight years. Um, there's going to be more troops that are sent. Um, there wasn't a commitment saying hey, tomorrow we're sending 4,000 more troops to Afghanistan, but, but there has apparently been a commitment to add troops. Um, we're going to try to, the argument is we're going to try to ratchet up um, pressure on Pakistan to help you know weed out the terrorists, and, and that's all fine and good, but that's kind of essentially... You know, what Obama was doing as well, the only the way I see it, real difference is that President Obama, foolishly, in my opinion, you know, set different dates. You know, we're going to be pulling out people by X date. Um, Trump left it open ended. I mean, I I say foolishly because if you say, hey, uh, we're going to we're going to stop prosecuting drug dealers on, you know, December 31st. That kind of tells you, okay, well, you know, let, let's just kind of hang out till December 31st. Then the U.S. is going to be gone or law enforcement is going to be gone. So setting arbitrary time limits doesn't make any sense. But President Trump had the opportunity to pull us out of Afghanistan, and, and he passed on it. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, I, I think I have always believed that if you are going to get involved in a conflict, you need to have a clear exit strategy and a clear definition of what success is. My concern about our involvement in Afghanistan all along is that, number one, we don't have an exit strategy, and number two, we don't know what winning, and I put that in quotation marks, would look like. And what I heard from President Trump yesterday really seemed to me to be Bottom line, no different from what I heard from President Obama, and to an extent, no different from what we heard from President Bush. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, President Trump has outlined his vision of moving forward in Afghanistan, acknowledging that he was originally calling to get us out of there. He is not getting us out of there. He is getting us in deeper. Is this the right way to go? 414-799-1620, I question it. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1019. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1021. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One former congressman and presidential candidate thinks the stock market could be due for a massive collapse in the next year. Why is that? And is there some validity to his claims? Find out during Scafidi and Bill Stat at 235. Uh, the stock market, let's see, today it's, uh, as of now, 
good day. Dow up 125 points. NASDAQ, that's the big thing, up over 1% at 63. It's up 63 points. So a uh, stock market is having a good day. Who knows what the future will bring? All right, I, I watched President Trump. I, I, I went back and I, I did not watch it. It was occurring. I, I watched it later on replay. His, his big press conference on Afghanistan, his big announcement. And I have to tell you that it seemed to me I didn't hear necessarily a new new strategy. It seemed to me it was kind of repackaged what President o- Obama was doing. Um, we're going to send, we're going to keep the troops we've got there. Um, there's already an estimated 8,400 American troops. We're going to send up to apparently they're not saying specifically, but up to 4,000 more. We're going to put economic pressure on Pakistan, all right, which is all well and good, and we're not going to have any timetables. It seems to me that this is pretty much the same old, same old that we've been hearing before, and it's the kind of philosophy that got us into quagmires like like Vietnam. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Will in West Bend. Will, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. What do Thanks you think? Thanks for taking my sure. for getting to me. Sure. Um, I'm actually going to disagree with you just a little bit okay. um, because. He is changing the strategy. He, he said point blank, we're not there, we're not going to go there and insert more troops to overthrow governments or install democracies or any of that. We are going there to hunt those that wish to kill us and kill them first. And that should have been our strategy since day one. I guess the, my question with that is, if, if that's really the case, you know, can, can you do that with with like I say, there's can you do that with eight thousand? Right now, there's eighty four hundred troops. By by sending another couple thousand, does that bring you any closer to it? To me, it's kind of like uh, again, th- th- that's not enough troops to do you know what we're talking about. You know, like eradicate the Taliban or or whatever. It would seem to me if you're going to do that, you got to go all in. And he certainly didn't do that. This is just more of these half measures, I guess. Well, I guess, but I mean, and that's. That's for now. I mean, if we need to send another ten thousand troops, we'll send another ten thousand. Plus, is it going to be eight thousand, you know, inf- army infantry, or is it going to be eight thousand army shields, green berets, and special forces? There, well, there's a difference. There. There, what does, will, in your opinion, what, what does what does victory look like? See, and again, that's the that's the struggle that I always have. What what would winning be? In my opinion, yeah. winning would be getting rid of every one of these idiots that uh, calls us the white Satan and thinks that we are uh, and is out to kill us just because we don't agree with them philosophically or their religion. Is, is that something that can realistically be accomplished by, you know, a commitment of troops, whether it's 8,400 or 12,500 or 125,000? Is, is that something... You know, given that Afghanistan has been a mess for ever, is is that something that we could realistically accomplish? I mean, we can't get every one of them. No, not every single one. But we can certainly get a good big chunk of them, and we can certainly cut the head off the snake, as the you know proverbially. No, okay, thanks. And look, and I I pre- appreciate the call. It's an intelligent call. I I just I I have I have great reservations as to whether or not. The commitment of of an extra four thousand American troops can can accomplish that. I mean, keep in mind, you know, Afghanistan was was Russia's Vietnam. They they got caught up in in the quagmire there. And I guess I, I think 
I, I want to say I see overtones of Vietnam. Now, I, I mean, I understand, you know, we're, we're not talking about commitments of hundreds of thousands of, of combat troops, but it's kind of this gradual thing. And I, again, I believe before you commit American military involvement and before you put boots on the ground, you, you've got to know, like I was saying earlier, what is the exit strategy, number one, and, and what does victory look like? And I guess I was, I mean, President Trump, agree with him or disagree with him, during the campaign, it was, this is a disaster, it is a quagmire, we have to get out. Now he's saying, well, I've changed my mind, and, you know, we're going to get in deeper. Now, again, it's not, we're sending 125,000 combat troops, I appreciate that, but it is this commitment to get in deeper, which to me is the same, you can repackage it. And you can try to use different phraseology, but isn't this the same thing, seriously, that, that President Obama w- was talking about and th- that ended up not, not accomplishing our goals? 414-799-1620. And candidly, the idea of, well, you send as many troops in as you need to, to get this accomplished, I mean, that's... That, that's that's sort of that's more than just a little bit scary to me. That's how we got into the quagmire of Vietnam. John in Oshkosh. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you know, I'd like to ask the last caller if he's willing to send his son or daughter over to Afghanistan for what is already, we know, a lost cause. It's, <laughs> we will never win over there. You would have to pour a million troops into Afghanistan to route out whatever is in Afghanistan and then try to try, try to figure out what you're going to do to go over across the border into Pakistan. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, it's, it's just... around with somebody there that's got to be happy with our presence. So... Um. That's all I got to say. No, no, thanks. Well, it is. I mean, that that's again, that goes back to what I'm saying about what what does Vict what is what can you realistically accomplish? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not soft on the war on terrorism. I, I, I'm not. And I think, you know, when you have opportunities to, you know, strike at Taliban bases or if you can find, you know, ISIS, you know, things, you you, you do whatever you can to eliminate them. I'm just not sure that boots on the ground, I'm not sure that putting forth, forget not sure, I don't think that putting 4,000 more troops in Afghanistan is going to make any difference at all, and it seems to me a, a step towards getting us further embroiled in, again, the, the quagmire, just saying. It's 1028, this is Jeff Wagner. Ten thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. You know, BD is producing the show today, and always we, we could we could do nothing but Skinnerd bumper music, and I would be perfectly happy. Um, but we have we have all sorts of bumper music that's kind of the soundtrack of my life. So got a lot of people that, that say, "Yeah, that's kind of good." Yes, I'm glad with it too. As the downtown renaissance continues, our friends at the Milwaukee Business Journal are taking a closer look at the boom this Friday. They're hosting a special panel discussion with some of the area's biggest movers and shakers. For more information on their event, the business of growing Milwaukee, just head to milwaukeebusinessjournal.com. All right. Uh this this is a dispute that has now been going on for a year, and I think the NFL hoped it was going to go away, but unfortunately, from the NFL's perspective, it hasn't. Started last year when Colin Kaepernick, who 
um, decided he was a uh, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers making millions of dollars a year, but he decided that America was this awful racist country, and he, as a matter of protest, was not going to stand during the national anthem. A handful of players supported him. It became a, a controversy. The This year, the controversy is, is back, and it kind of manifested itself last night. There was an exhibition game between the New York Giants and the, the Cleveland Browns. And a group of Cleveland Browns players, again, instead of standing during the national anthem, chose to kneel and huddle during the national anthem. Linebackers Jamie Collins and Christian Kirksey, running backs Duke Johnson, Terrence McGee, and Isaiah Isaiah Crowell, couple wide receivers, couple on the defense, were among those who decided to kneel. Um, several other players stood next to the group and placed an arm on their kneeling teammates. So th- this was the, the latest kind of mass protest. It came after the head coach had, had said something to the extent of, you know, he, he hoped that these player protests wouldn't happen here, and then the players turned on him and he had to back off that particular statement. But again, you have these NFL players who decide during the national anthem that they want to stage a, a protest. Now, I guess I've looked at this in two ways. First of all, I think there is more than a degree of hypocrisy that you have these entitled, incredibly rich athletes who decide that they don't—they just don't want to stand um, and, and support what's and support this country. Oh, I'm just disgusted by what's going on in this country, so I'm making millions and millions of dollars, but I'm, I'm going to—I'm going to engage in the protest. I think there's an element of hypocrisy. I guess the bigger point to me is that there's things that you can do in your private life versus the things you do when you are on the clock. Now, think about your job. You know, it's one thing, you know, you can perhaps dress a certain, you dress one way when you're on the job. You dress perhaps another way when you're on your, you know, your own time. Um, I, I certainly know in my job, when I'm out in public, an official station business, or representing the station, um, there's certain behavior that is expected of me that might not necessarily be true if I was on my own time. Although, you know, you're always my position. You're always kind of like a, a face of the station and things like that. But in general, you know, an employer, I think, has every right to say, you know, when you're on the clock, you behave in a certain way. If these football players, for example, were attending an NBA game or attending a Major League Baseball game, they've all decided, hey, we're going to go to the Cleveland Indians game on Tuesday night, and they decided that they wanted to refuse to stand during the playing of the National Anthem, I I think they would be within certainly their, their rights to do it. Um, I think it would look unseemly, and I think it would be unfortunate, but they have the right to do it. However... That's different from before the football games. The reason these people are on national television is because they are football players playing for the NFL, and this is the NFL game that is ready to start, and this is the, again, they're on TV only because they are on the clock. If they weren't on the clock, they they wouldn't be on this nationally televised game. So the NFL right now is, I I think, wrestling with how you handle this. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I fully concede that there are a lot bigger issues facing this country than whether a handful of privileged, entitled, and arguably well-paid, maybe overpaid, professional athletes decide that they want to stand for the national anthem. At the same time, I think the NFL, recognizing that in general, I think most people think it is appropriate to stand for the national anthem, I think the NFL should have the right to say, hey, you're on the job. And, you know, you, if you, like I said, you want to go to the Cleveland Indians game, do whatever you want. But while you are representing the National Football League, we expect you to stand during the national anthem. You know, protest on your own time all you want. Do whatever, go with God. Do whatever you want to do. But when you are on our dime, we expect you to stand like most people do. Um, I mean, and of course, the NFL that cracks down on everything involved, including like what kind of socks you can wear and, you know, what you can do after you score a touchdown. The fact that it's allowing this situation to get as out of control as it is, is almost mind boggling to me. I think it's more than time for the NFL to simply say, all right, it's the workday during the game, before the game, during the national anthem, you stand. You want to do protests, do them on your own time. 414-799-1620. I think it is a huge PR problem for the NFL. We discuss next. If you're on the line, and the NFL could do something about it by simply saying this is our code of conduct, stand during the national anthem. You know, you are a citizen of the United States. Stand during the anthem. If you want to protest, fine. Do all the protesting you want, but not on our dime. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I I acknowledge that there's bigger issues than a handful of overpaid or well-paid professional athletes deciding that they don't want to stand during the national anthem. I, I get that there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world, but at the same time, for the life of me, I don't understand why the NFL is putting up with this. The, the NFL that regulates you know, what you can have on your socks and what dance you can do after you score a touchdown, um, this is a huge issue. I think there are a lot of fans that believe this is, as I do, that this is intending to show disrespect to the country, and as a result, it, it turns off some of the fans. I'm not saying the players don't have a right to protest, but at the same time, when they are doing this on the sidelines, the only reason that they're getting the attention they're getting is because they are representing the NFL. It is before a game. I think it's way past time for the NFL to, to knock this stuff off. Maria in Oak Creek, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? So, I agree. I think um, absolutely you are playing for the National Football League. You have an obligation to do certain things. Like you said, you can't wear certain shoes. You can't wear certain things. But I also think the mass media needs to take some credibility mm-hmm. because let's normalize patriotic behavior. Let's not feed into the egos because, let's be honest, most people who are, are doing that want nothing but attention. Yep. And let's give them negative attention, zero attention. It's no different than how I 
behave uh, or uh, discipline my children, or I'm a teacher, how I discipline school children. You um, praise the desired behavior. Let's show the men who have their hands on their heart and are singing. Let's ignore the men who want to sit and do their little pity party and say, oh, I'm going to boycott this. No, then you know what? You're not going to be the one who gets the game time interview after. You're not going to be the one who's going to promote their next career by being a good interviewee, and then eventually you get your own radio program after you've ended your NFL career or whatever. Let's only spotlight those who are doing what is truly patriotic and ignore the rest of them. Yes, I do think the NFL should do something to say this is what our expected behavior is, but as for the TV, don't put them on. Well, see, Maria, let me me just say this. Uh, Maria, I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to be the butt monkey here. But the the truth is, you know, you've got you've got these TV networks that thrive on controversy. What they want is they they want to generate they want to generate ratings. They want to generate uh, the things that are going to get people talking. So they they tune into the the shows afterwards and things like that. So that the networks aren't going to I mean, and it might be unfortunate, but they're not going to focus on the fact that you've got, you know, 40,000 people standing. They've taken off their hats. They're going to focus on the handful of people on the sidelines because it it creates that controversy and might generate the, the eyeballs or the ratings or whatever. And it's unfortunate. But as long as as long as you have one joker on the sideline, line doing this that's the person that's going to have all the attention unfortunately well and i think yeah like you said if coaches or the nfl come down on the the things that um you know nfl players have to do to maintain you know good status like oh the fines they get for this that the other oh they don't want to do a post-team interview they get a huge fine well eventually they stop or they pay up do the same thing make it difficult for the coaches and guess what they're going to say Cut it out. You are bad publicity I, for our team. I, and, yes, we're fortunate that the Packers, um, in my opinion, I was born and raised in Green Bay. I come from lifelong season ticket holders. We expect more from our players. We expect more from our team. We're, sure, have the coach say, this is what we're going to do. Heck, they have curfews. They have this. They yep. have that. Everybody's behavior is closely monitored. I agree no with you. There's no reason why you couldn't do exactly the same for the national anthem. Right, like exactly. You said, right. If you are on your own time sure. visiting some other stadium on whatever, but again, I have to do certain things when I'm at school that I don't necessarily believe <laughs> in or stand for or whatever. Right. Part of the game. It's part, part of, of the, the job. No, no, job. I'm with you. No, thanks for calling. And I and I agree with your basic premise. Like I say, it, it the, the reason the players do this is because the handful of players do it is because they know. This is the, they're going to be the focal point, and and the networks do it too. I mean, you're right. The networks don't show, like I say, that the tens of thousands of people who are standing, they show the handful of again entitled players who are acting up. The NFL could stop this tomorrow. Let's see, our text lines exploded. Jeff, I agree with you about the NFL should require players to stand. All players and coaches stand for the national anthem. Standing for the national anthem is a sign of respect for the flag and the country. It doesn't mean you agree with everything that's going on in the country, nor does it mean that every Everything that your country is doing is something that you approve of. How convenient for some of these players to protest during or before game time. No one is saying they can't organize their own protests or demonstrations on their time. However, I don't think any of that has been done or reported. Clearly, this country has provided them with an opportunity to advance and earn a fantastic living. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, there are ways around it. Somebody texts, just play the national anthem before the players come out. Um, that's... That, I guess, is, is an option um, that in some respects is, 
I, I guess you're allowing the inmates to run the asylum, but yeah, that's an option. Let's see a text. If the Green Bay Packers organization ever allowed this to happen on an ongoing basis, I would give up my season tickets. Uh, Jeff texts, once again, um, mainstream media shows they only care about profits, not promoting truth and positivity. Uh, discourse makes money. Um, it's um, It was. Uh, I, I think there is an element to this. Um, then another text. Let's not forget they're being paid uh, to protest by doing it while they're on the job. Yeah, again, to me, you know, that's that's the key. They're on the job, which is why I think the employer has a right to say, hey, if you're on the job, you know, you're going to this is the protocol we're going to have for the national anthem. And if you don't, you're going to be fined. You're going to be suspended, whatever. Now, I understand there would be this uproar. You're limiting our free speech rights. Well, OK, the, the guy who wrote the memo in Silicon Valley, you know, talking about, you know, how he you know, thought that there was a reason why women programmers should be paid differently. OK, he lost his job. I mean, when, when it comes to you know, free speech is the government can't limit your unreasonably limit your right to freedom of speech you know once you go into the workplace you pretty much lose many of of your rights to free speech while you're on the job the again your employer has a right to set standards and conditions so i mean you know you've got roger goodell who's about ready to be re-up for seven years making more money than god um maybe maybe it's time to deal with this Let's talk to uh, Catherine in Mequon. Catherine, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm thinking, too, those football players won't stand to honor the flag, but they'll stand in line at the bank to get American money. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's right. true. No you're, no, you're right, Catherine. No, I mean, it's like, okay, this, this is this terrible country. We're protesting. Give me, give me, give me, give me that money. You know, give me that money. Um, and then, of course, when you have, in my opinion, hypocrites like Colin Kaepernick, who's still out of a job, right? When he's when he's under contract, making millions of dollars, um, then then he's protesting. His contract is expired, so now you know he's trying to hook on with some other team. He recognizes that he is a public relations, I would say disaster, but I'll just say hot potato. And a lot of the NFL owners are like, we're not sure we want the aggravation. So now he's saying, well, don't worry. You hire me. You pay me millions of dollars more. And don't worry. I'll, I'll now stand. I, I, I won't be as controversial as I was. Um, gee, but when I was making all the money, then I figured I could protest. What a hypocrite. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hey, With Jeff. the exception of the Packers, I think people who are frustrated like me should not watch any other NFL games, and they should not support the NFL in other ways, such as engaging in fantasy football leagues and buying the PS4 games, as long as the NFL is going to put up with this nonsense. Yeah, um, thanks for the call, Jeff. I, I mean, I, I don't know. The, the, the problem is it's very, very popular. Um, you know, people, people love football. And people love the NFL. But you do have – see, to me, my message would be to the NFL – and the NFL owners know this, that this isn't something new. This is, this is a problem because by injecting politics into the middle of the game, you know, into the game, not again – you know, you've always had athletes who are activists. There's nothing wrong with that. But by, by injecting it in this capacity, what you're doing, in my opinion, is you are – you are creating controversies that hurt the brand. You know, it hurts the brand. And I just, I wonder, 
how many I thought I candidly thought a lot of these protests were just going to kind of die down that it was going to be like you know last year's what water bucket challenge or, or whatever but you know now it, it's it's kind of ramping up again the NFL could stop it if they wanted to and I, I think candidly they should it's 1055 this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ Jeff Weck, so glad to have you with us. All right. BDU is producing the program. We're about to go once again where angels fear to tread. I understand that there are people out there who just um, are, are resistant to the government telling you you have to do things. Why should I have to wear my seatbelt? I don't want to wear a seatbelt. I should have the right to not wear a seatbelt. And the fact that it means that I'm a lot more likely to get killed in a car, I'm, I'm taking that risk. I, I get that kind of argument. Um, at Sometimes, though, there are things that government makes you do which are intended not just to protect you but protect others. Now, I acknowledge that some of you disagree with me when we go down this route, but there were and have been Diseases which ran rampant decades ago or one or two generations ago, measles, mumps, polio, you know, diseases that essentially because of developments and advances in modern science have been eradicated. These diseases are making comebacks. Why are they making comebacks? Well, it's because people are making the decisions for their children largely, that we're not going to get people vaccinated. We're not going to have these vaccinations because, well, we saw on TV that Jenny McCarthy was saying that, you know, she had her kid vaccinated and she believes that there's a link between the vaccine and and autism. And um, despite the fact that there's no scientific proof at at all for that. Um, So they're making the decision we're not going to get vaccinated. Now, I bring this up because big story in the Washington Post um, in in Minnesota, and they they think the outbreak is finally just winding down. But in, in Minnesota, starting in May and running for the last several months, it's been the worst outbreak of measles in decades, the worst outbreak of measles in decades. Matter of fact, they had, I believe, more documented cases of of measles in Minnesota this year than they had across the whole country a couple years ago. Um, they confirmed um, 79 local media case, uh, measles cases, most involving unvaccinated preschool children, particularly in the Somali-American community. More than 8,200 people were exposed at schools, daycare clinics, and hospital and hospitals. 22 people were hospitalized, many with high fever, uh, breathing difficulties, and dehydration. So far, there have been no deaths, but um, while exposure to the disease can be fatal, no deaths, but a lot of really sick um, people. Um, and, of course, with measles, The incubation period is about 42 days. What they say is you have to wait before you know. If you've been exposed 
before you know for sure whether you're going to contract the measles, you you got to wait 42 days. That's what they're saying, two incubation periods. So um, they're, they're not sure whether they've they've stopped this or not. But lots and lots of people have gotten sick. Like I say, this started in the Somali-American community where you had a number of parents, um, more than half, as a matter of fact, who made the decisions that they weren't going to have their kids vaccinated. And as a result, again, you have all sorts of people who are, are getting sick, including people who either can't get vaccinated because they have compromised immune systems, they are exposed to people who, again, are they, maybe it hasn't fully blown up. It's not like they have measles, but they've been exposed to measles, so they end up being carriers. You know, there's stories I've been looking at over the last couple months is, again, particularly in the Somali-American community, you have, you know, groups of people who are having the measles party. One kid gets sick. And then they, everybody else brings their kids over so their kids can end up getting exposed to the measles and sick. Now, I understand for, for many people when we're talking about the measles that it is a normal childhood disease and that most people, you know, who back before vaccinations, back before we eradicated the disease, what would happen is that most people, if you would contract it, You'd get sick for a while, then you'd get over it, and you'd have that immunity that, that would be there. The problem, of course, is that a percentage, admittedly a small percentage, but a percentage of the people who contract the measles, they, they get really, really sick and or, or they die, which is why it's so, in my opinion, crazy to have a disease that has been eradicated and make the decision, okay, we're, we're not going to protect our children. Now, what's happened is there are historically there's been different ways this has been approached as a public health crisis. Um, parents whose children have are, are unable because of medical advice, unable to, to get the vaccine. Well, there's always going to be a percentage of them that they're going to obviously be unvaccinated. But they're the people who are at risk from coming into contact with other people who may, in fact, be carriers. So obviously, if you've got a medical issue that prevents you from being vaccinated, I don't think there's anybody that would argue that you should be exposed. The other problems, though, are you have exceptions to vaccinations for sending kids to public schools. The exceptions being in some states, they allow you to opt out if you're a parent for religious purposes. And interestingly, a couple of people who got sick outside the Somali community in Minnesota, they were... um, they were people who opted out because of religious purposes. And then there's other states that have the broader opt-out, which essentially says if you don't feel like it. You know, if you don't, if you've got personal concerns about these vaccines and vaccinations, you can opt out your kids. Now, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit that when I was reading up on this last night, I, I was just, I was appalled. I was just appalled. I understand that there are legitimate issues and there's questions about, you know, when they administer these vaccines, do they give too many at once? I mean, do they need to space them out over a longer period of time and things like that? And I'm not a pediatrician and I don't play one on the radio. And that's something that obviously, you know, you as a parent want to talk about with, you know, your your child's doctor to make these decisions. But this idea that we have large, and in this case, they're estimating 42% of the Somali community, only 42% of the Somali community in Minnesota is deciding to get vaccinated. I mean, that's, that's less than one in two. 
you are bringing back a disease that has been eradicated, essentially, and you are putting, in my opinion, the people who really legitimately can't get this vaccine, you are putting them at risks. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, this is scary to me. And, and I think if people are going to make the decision that they're not going to have their kids vaccinated, then I, I think that there has to be decisions made about is there a place for them in the public schools. Again, I'm accept, exempting the people who have, again, the medical reasons. Nobody would urge that. But those are the people that I'm really looking out for. The kid with the compromised immune system who, if exposed to some child whose parents have taken him to a measles party, you know, exposed to that kid in a classroom or whatever over that 42-day period, ends up dead or really, really sick because that kid couldn't get the vaccination because of medical reasons, but somebody else makes this personal choice. Well, okay, maybe do there need to be limits on access to the public schools? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Ann in Okachi. Ann, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, hi. Um, I'm a school psychologist and have been for many years. And I, over the years, have had to deal with parents who do not want their child immunized because they are, they're afraid that they may um, become autistic. Right. That's the whole Jenny McCarthy thing. You know, she, she was peddling yes. that line for years. Yes. Yes. But what people have not been made aware is that the doctor of the original study was charged with fraud. He has lost his license. And if I remember correctly, I think he's incarcerated. Yeah, I'm, I, and I know it's been completely repudiated, including in whatever journals it appeared in. And let me ask you this. People would say, what is, what is the big deal? Why should, why should schools, you know, why should schools care if kids are unvaccinated coming to school because, uh, for example, if I have my kid vaccinated, maybe they're protected. I mean, why should schools care if parents want to, uh, want to expose their kids to the measles? Well, I just believe that, you know, you're exposing all the other children who are are vaccinated and the kids, other kids will get sick. You know, some of the things you just said. Yeah. Um, and if I was on other parents, um, I'd be furious to know there was a child in my child's class that could make my child vulnerable to getting very, very sick. Right, or right, or make other kids at, at home. For example, um, okay, some kid who's um, a, a carrier comes to school, exposes somebody's um, small child. That kid then goes home and infects other people in the family, including like infant children and stuff. I just think it's incredibly irresponsible, I guess. And I know some people disagree with me, but it's just this disease was eradicated, and it's making a comeback because people don't get vaccinated. Uh, absolutely true. But what I hear the most is autism, autism, autism. And it's such a shame that it's the information out there is so incorrect. And I wish it would get out more because I know a lot of the parents I deal with, they haven't heard that this fellow was charged with fraud. Yeah. Now, thanks for calling. Right. Again, and that the study that, that she's talking about, that, that Jenny McCarthy was touting, completely and totally repudiated. Again, the, the journals of medicine that, that published it said this was... Um, you know that this was you know junk science 
And I mean, I, I don't know why you're seeing the explosion of autism. I was actually at this this golf outing, you know, raising money to help fight autism. Um, but but I guess it's it's this these tenuous sort of links that are out there. I mean, I don't know. This is I just find it scary that you know you have a, a large number. Like I say, in Minnesota over the last few months, you know, more diagnosed cases of measles than I believe in the United States last year. This disease is making a comeback, and again, this started in the Somali community because somehow the word got out that you know don't vaccinate your kids. So they're even having again the, these parties where you try to expose your kids. And I understand for most kids, you're just going to get sick for a few days, and then you'll you'll get better, and then you have the immunity. But what about what about the people that you expose? We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's eleven nineteen. It's eleven twenty-two. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTM. Our text line exploding with this. Just moved here from a developing country, struggling with polio, and to hear this happening in the U.S. sounds really stupid. They shouldn't be exposed to other kids who are 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 not vaccinated. I mean, now polio again. Polio, which is just a devastating disease, was of course uh, eliminated. Um, you know, in, in the 1950s by the, the polio vaccine. And there, there hasn't, since 1979, no cases of polio have originated in the U.S. However, the disease has been brought into this country by travelers with polio. Last time this happened was about 15 years ago. But it only takes one traveler with polio to bring the disease into the United States, which is why vaccinations are so uh, just in, incredibly important. Brenda in Milwaukee. Brenda, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I love your show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi. I, I was a paraprofessional for Milwaukee Public Schools. I'm retired now, but I had an autistic boy bite me through my forearm, through my sweater, and he was not immunized. And I had to go through a series of shots and blood work for months. And he was autistic. So... Okay. Yeah. I mean, so in, in that particular. Exactly. Um, right. Hmm. I, I mean, that's right. So, I mean, you're right. So it's like this is a particular situation where, you know, you're as the teacher, you know, you're exposed to all this type of stuff as well. And I didn't know he wasn't immunized until I went to the office and they looked in his file. So then I had to go through all this uncomfortable blood work and shots because his parents chose not to immunize him. Right. I guess I just, you know, I, I mean. Now, I, I do think, in all honesty, Brenda, that there there is a legitimate question about, you know, our, and it's something I think people need to talk about with their, you know, with, with their pediatricians. It, are, are they giving them too many, you know, too many of these shots within too close a period of time? I mean, I think that's a, but, but to, to take that to say, okay, well, we're just not going to vaccinate, to me just, again, it, it just makes no sense at all. It just doesn't. Exactly. I believe. I, I agree totally. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. For, I mean, and I, look, and I'm not arguing these are perfect uh, in this regard, but I, I just don't, I don't understand knowingly exposing your, your child to a disease, which, again, I acknowledge in a vast majority, the overwhelming majority of cases, simply means that your child is going to be uncomfortable your child is going to get sick but again i'm looking at what happened in 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 minnesota just over the last couple months i mean they're talking about uh, again um several dozen kids who were presumably knowingly exposed to you know measles by their parents you know who who end up you know in in the hospital because of this and thankfully you know nobody has died but my concern is you know what happens when you have that child who legitimately can't get vaccinated because they've got the compromised immune system or what about the adult 
that has the compromised immune system who hasn't been vaccinated or something like that, and, and you're exposed to, to that child. Because my guess is, um, as you get older, you know, you have those things. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, somebody, I mean, I never had the measles. I had a vaccination, you know, when I was a kid. So I've never had the measles. But you do kind of wonder, okay, for those of us who are a little bit older, you know, do these you know, do these vaccines that you had, these vaccinations that you had when you were a child, do they, I don't know, do they start to lose effectiveness over the years? And, you know, what happens if somebody who's in their 50s or their 60s or their 70s, you know, who was vaccinated, but, you know, who knows if it's still good, what happens if they're exposed to people who are carrying this disease? You know, and and just imagine, you know, it's one thing if it's a a relatively healthy child that gets exposed to this, but what happens if it's uh, again the the adult or somebody who's older that gets exposed to this? I mean, it's just it's just kind of scary. I am not arguing that people who medically shouldn't get vaccines should be made to be vaccinated, but but this other stuff, this this all these opting outs, it, look what's happening in Minnesota, and you don't want to see that happen here. It's eleven twenty seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 1129, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What's your reaction to President Trump's address to the nation last night? Do you agree with his decision regarding the war in Afghanistan? Weigh in with Scafidi and Bilstadt. You have a chance to do that at 135 this afternoon. Be sure to check that out. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, I want to I want to switch gears. Um, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis passed away the other day, and, and I understand maybe for... A certain generation of people, it's like, who, who is who is Jerry Lewis? Or or maybe, yeah, I remember Jerry Lewis. He was the guy that used to do the, uh, you know, the muscular dystrophy telethon. He's been gone for a while. But for others, you know, Jerry Lewis was a major talent who, um, in maybe some cases, was somewhat underappreciated. We're going to talk a little bit about Jerry Lewis and his passing and what his legacy is and a, a new poll on the president has some results which if if believable might not be surprising but aren't very they they, they don't necessarily create an optimistic outlook we're going to talk about all that coming up Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Another late-night pitch for the Brewers as they play Game 2 against the Giants. We'll send it out west to join Jeff and Lane. Pre-game coverage begins at 840 here on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. Okay. While I was gone, it seems like I just, I just took Monday off, turned it into a three-day weekend, but it seems like I've been gone forever. Over the weekend, um, a new poll, and I understand that there are a number of people who are skeptical about polls, and I think there is a lot of validity to be skeptical about polls. Pollsters have been wrong a lot lately when it comes to politics. Nevertheless, I think, I don't know, intuitively, I look at some poll numbers, and sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't. This one, candidly, might make a little bit of sense. All right, new NBC News Marist poll um, coming out, and what they do is they look at If you look at President Trump, I think there are perhaps three states which were key to his being elected, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. 
all three states, which, by the way, I say at the start of this, the pollster said Donald Trump isn't going to win. No pollster saw Donald Trump beating Hillary Clinton in Pennsylvania. No pollster saw Hillary Clinton losing to Donald Trump in Wisconsin, which hadn't gone Republican since the uh, second uh, Reagan election. So so you, you understand, again, I take these with a grain of salt because these are now three states that the pollsters missed badly on. So now they're coming back. Well, here are the numbers. So they go out to these three states where Donald Trump surprised people by winning. Voters were asked whether Trump's conduct as president made them proud or embarrassed them. 64%, so essentially two-thirds of voters in Wisconsin and Michigan said they were embarrassed as opposed to proud. 63% of voters in Pennsylvania said they were embarrassed. About 25% um, of adults in those three states said his conduct had made them proud. Trump has a 33% approval rating among Wisconsin adults. Um, His approval rating is 36 and 33% in Michigan and Pennsylvania, respectively. But um, if you believe these polls, and again, I understand there's people who are skeptical about this, two-thirds of the people say that in states that voted for Trump say that they are embarrassed by his conduct as president. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I, I understand that there's going to be some people, like I say, who are out there who don't believe the pollsters, who think, you know, that there's this vast, silent majority of folks who aren't who weren't polled beforehand or didn't participate, who aren't getting polled now. But I guess here, here, and it's really a two-part question that I would like you to react to. Do you believe these numbers? Do you think it's true that essentially two-thirds of adults in Wisconsin, regardless of how you feel, two-thirds of adults are embarrassed by the conduct of, of the president? And if so, is this presidency doomed? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you embarrassed by the conduct of the president? Do you think most of our fellow citizens here are embarrassed as well? And is there anything Trump can do to change it? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss. That's coming up next. It's 1138. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Are you embarrassed by the conduct of President Trump? Do you believe these polls that say that, again, almost two-thirds of people in Wisconsin are, in fact, embarrassed? All right. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1139. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1142, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The MyPillow stuff, it really does work. That's... It's, it, 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 it's amazing. Check it out. All right, 414-799-1620. There's a series of new polls out that say they focused on Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, states that put Donald Trump over the, the top in his quest for the presidency. Uh, now, if you believe the numbers, essentially two-thirds of the people say they are they are embarrassed by his conduct as the president. His approval rating is in the low 30s. Do you believe these polls? Um, 414-799-1620. I, I will tell you that I, I I do, I understand why people are skeptical about polls. I think right now these numbers are, I think right now that these, these numbers are, are probably 
accurate. Um, Terry, who sends me an email, says it's all about the Twitter 90% of the time. Knock that off and he would be fine. I agree. I think obviously there's some self-inflicted wounds. The the ongoing thing about you know what happened in Charlottesville and the various statements, particularly his disastrous press conference last Tuesday, clearly doesn't help. I do agree though that if you could separate what I say style from substance, these numbers would be dramatically changed. But unfortunately, the style is is overwhelming the substance. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bill in Waukesha. Bill, you're on six twenty BTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, uh, do you believe these numbers? Are you embarrassed that he's, uh, do you find his conduct embarrassing? Well, I think the numbers are probably a little skewed because of who they poll. Nobody ever polls me, so I don't think that they're ultimately accurate. But I, I agree that it's probably um, in that general area. But And I'm embarrassed by some of the stuff he does. I'm embarrassed by, you know, maybe right. his president presidency at, the, at a point but if they were to hold the election again today i would vote for him again would you do you but think the majority I, of people would yeah you do you I think really if, do. you think if we ran if we had a rerun of of last november hillary clinton still loses oh absolutely especially against her hopefully they'd be smart enough to come up with a better candidate but but i think it'll be you'll have like the walker effect i think ultimately people out there know that the media is driving this negativity for the most part, he's done some dumb crap. There's no he has. doubt about that. But they're, you know, like what did Walker win by five points more when they did the re- right? <laughs> the yeah, re- no, right, exactly. But of course, you know? no. The things interesting, but I mean, right? I mean, there was Walker derangement syndrome, but and I and I say this, I say this lovingly. Scott Walker is not Donald Trump. I mean, you know, I mean, what? But see, Walker. The, the objections were to to substance as opposed to in general style. The, the thing that fueled the Walker stuff was you had these people who got all you know incensed over what he wanted to do with Act Ten, and, and so I understand for some that became personal. But it was the substance. I think I think it is Trump's style, as more so than necessarily the substance. And this is coming from somebody who agrees with him on some issues and doesn't agree with him on other issues. But it is, it's the constant tweets, it's the thin skin stuff, it's the bullying, and it's the erratic things that I, I think are, are undermining him. Let's talk to Ron, who's calling us from Naples, Florida, a wonderful city. Ron, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I'd like to say something about the numbers, first of all. Right. I don't think they're high enough. I think more people should be embarrassed by him. Did you? Let me ask you, did you vote for Trump or did you vote for Clinton? I voted for Clinton. Okay. I've been a Democrat my whole life, but I also believe that uh, Trump has some uh, with trade and things. I think he's got some valid points there. You know, mm-hmm. we've been we've been giving away the United States money for years. Okay, so you're another guy that would fit into that on the substance. At least some of the issues that he's doing, you would agree with him. But it's it's the other. Tell me what you. What do you find embarrassing? If I were to say to you, okay, Ron... You know, I'll tell you what. If I was to invite him to a cocktail party in Naples, uh, you would be very embarrassed to have him there, okay? And um, it it, it is partially the the wall thing. Um, Okay. There's there's an awful lot of very good Mexicans working down in Florida that you just can't believe how hard they work. Right. And the other thing is... um, I was a little upset with the way he treated the uh, Charlottesville incident. Right. You know? No, uh, clearly. I mean, thanks. I mean, clearly, 
he did not handle that well. And I, I've, I've said the whole Charlottesville thing, I thought he was unfairly criticized for his initial remarks on that Saturday. Bef- you know, he, he was trying to withhold judgment before all the facts were in. Um, I thought that his comments on Monday, his public address, hit exactly the right tone. He called out the white supremacists. And all. He did exactly right. And then he, he kind of took two or three steps back by this bizarre and rambling press conference on, on Tuesday where he started talking about moral equivalency. And you know, some of the people who were protesting were some of the white supremacists were good people. I mean. You know, what were you thinking of? Okay, our text line is exploding. Um, Karen in Franksville says, embarrassed, yes, mortified, a better word. Trump needs to resign. Well, I don't think that that's going to happen. Okay, you know, uh, another text. Are these the same two-thirds that were supposed to vote for Hillary? How many people were polled? And I think, you know, that's the skepticism. Another text. How many of those people were polled could tell you what specifically was said that made them embarrassed? I would guess a very small percentage. Um, yes, uh, let's see another one of our texts. I'm about as embarrassed about President Trump's conduct as the liberals and Democrats were about President Clinton's sexual affair with Monica in his office. It's a two-way street. You know, there is kind of that irony. Uh, Jeff texts, I agree, his conduct is embarrassing. However, he's not a seasoned politician. He's going to, he's not going to be polished Regardless, um, his Twitter garbage needs to stop. Yeah, I think um, that's it. Another text, Trump's fifth-grade antics, including his name-calling and tweets, are embarrassing to all. Um, huh. I, I guess I, I was, and I, I've said this before, if you were listening during the campaign last year, Donald Trump was not my first choice for the Republican nomination. He wasn't my 17th choice for the Republican nomination because I was concerned about what, what the texter was talking about. I, I was concerned about the, 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 the name-calling and the thin-skinned nature and the bullying and that type of stuff. And I will say I, I had hoped that he was going to kind of rise above that once he won. And unfortunately, it's that thin-skinned nature. It is that style. It is the, it's the lashing out at the smallest provocation instead of realizing you won and you're the leader of the free world. It's obsessing over, again, who cares how many people showed up at your inauguration and who cares about you know whether it was larger than the number of people who showed up at Barack Obama's inauguration. You won. Who, who cares? I mean, just you know, kind of declare victory and, and move on. Um, we have a legitimate issue in this country about, you know, voter fraud. But, all right, you know, to, to say, well, I would have won the popular vote if there weren't four or five million people voting fraudulently. Okay, let let it go. Nobody sees that type of stuff. I mean, I I, I think there's, there's really two questions. I, I think one is, are you embarrassed by some of the things that the president does? And I think, you know, candidly, I might answer that yes. Yes, I find some of the stuff embarrassing. Now, that's not necessarily to say the same thing to say that do you not approve of the job he's doing. But the problem the president has is it is impossible to separate the style from the substance. And unless he can get past that, and candidly, I am concerned because he's 72 years old and he apparently – 
You know, he's gotten to where he is by letting Trump be Trump. Well, it's one thing if you want to be a reality TV star or if you want to be a developer in New York or build golf courses. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing if you're the leader of the free world. And I am afraid, as somebody who wants to see things done and wants to see an agenda advanced, that every day that goes by and we have, whether you believe the exact numbers of this poll or not, Every day that goes by is another day towards what ultimately could be a failed presidency, just opportunities being squandered. Dave in Shorewood. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you very much. What do you think? Um, like I was telling your um, your screener, I'm not embarrassed. I'm just very disappointed. When he was elected president, when President um, or when Donald Trump was elected president, he came in with a high agenda. Mm-hmm. The wall was going to be built, immigration was going to be taken care of, health care was going to be taken care of, taxes were going to be taken care of. And I expected a little more leadership out of him and his cabinet to get these things done. Right. Right. You know, I mean, so I'm not embarrassed because he is who he is, and we knew knew that going into this election, but uh, disappointed. Is it possible? Do you think it's possible... Given where we are now in the first 200 days in office and given all the water, to borrow the cliche, that has now gone under the bridge, do you think it's possible for him to turn things around or is it just going to be like this for the next few years? No, no, of course. He can turn us around. He's got to get a stable cabinet. He's got to get a stable administration and stop all this. You know, more discipline, right? More, more discipline. You would say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I was just, I, I thought the appointment of John Kelly as the chief of staff, and I like Ryan's previous, by the way. I think he's put in an untenable position, but I thought, you know, John Kelly. I thought that you have somebody that that brings order to the White House and and gets figures out what the message is. See, if you are in politics, I don't care whether you're a local politician or a state politician or a congressman or woman or a U.S. senator or the president. I mean, it's all about message. Okay, what are we trying to accomplish today? What are we trying to accomplish this week? What is our goal? What is the message? And I think, unfortunately for President Trump, he's just been unable to to stay on a defined message because he is thin-skinned because he's got to lash out i thought when they brought john kelly in that might be a sign that okay we're, we're going to now have you know it's going to be adult swim in the white house we're going to have you know some grown-ups and then i mean president trump goes off on this uh, again this sort of bizarre uh, a week ago of today he goes off on this bizarre news conference which you know just adds fuel to all the stuff that i thought he had probably gotten past after his Monday statement on, on Charlottesville, he brings it all up, and people are still talking about it a week later. He's got to figure out a way to focus if he cares about being successful. I do believe that these poll numbers, and it's not to say that I necessarily think if the election were held tomorrow, Hillary Clinton would do any better. She was a deeply flawed candidate as well, but I want to see stuff get done in this country. 